Well, we have been looking at the life of David for some time uh, this year, and we will, took a little break last week for Easter, but we picked back up again today in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we're looking at this idea as we, the whole theme of David's life is boldly forward for his glory, how we're to move forward in our faith, move forward in our walk with the Lord, and do so boldly. We do so for the glory of God, not for us to receive any kind of pat on the back or any kind of kudos, but everything that we do is for the glory of God. Amen? I said amen. I'm just making sure y'all are out there this morning, all right? So we're looking at this idea of being boldly forward for His glory, and today we're looking at specifically a forward learning. Forward learning. Now, when we think about learning, think about going to school, and sometimes you'll talk to folks and you'll ask, or you'll be asked, where'd you go to school? And it depends on what, how old we are. Uh, we may be thinking about the school of high school. And some, for some folks, that may be a home school or private school or public school. But a lot of times we talk about, you know, where, where did you get your education or where did you go to school? And having conversations and maybe, you know, where, where they went before they're doing whatever they're doing now. And some, for some people, getting that education was on the job training. Uh, some people got, you know, went straight out of high school, went right into a job, was a, trained as an apprentice and got their education by, by hands-on working and doing, which is great too. But also this vocational uh, type training, there is a military, some people receive the education through military and what they're doing, their schooling gained through uh, the military and others, it's a college. Uh, but we figure out where we uh, went to school. But this idea of the education the, or the learning that we're talking about this morning really has nothing to do with any of those. But what we're talking about here is a forward learning. For those of us who are believers is how we are to move forward in a bold fashion through some learning that we receive. This education moves us boldly forward in our walk with the Lord. And that's what we want to do. We're never supposed to stay the same as believers. We stay the same, we get stagnant. We're to be moving all the time, constantly moving forward and to move boldly for the glory of God. Now, as we think about this idea of learning and education, we, you're, you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you. i just tell you that right now. Uh, because we, we don't like this kind of education. We don't like this kind of learning because this kind of learning that I'm talking about today, that to move us boldly forward, this kind of learning is found in the schools of struggle. It's found in the university of adversity. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen. So that's what we're talking about today. And so, but here's the reality is that some of our best education in our faith comes when our faith is tested. And our faith is tested, but some of our best learning comes when our trials seem to tackle us or when our difficulties seem to drain us. And so what we're going to find here in this passage of Scripture as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 21 is that David was still learning too. He's not there yet. He is not at the point where he needs to be. He is still learning what it means to grow and to be boldly forward, to learn in the, in the school of struggle, in the university of adversity. He, he is, he'll be known as the man after God's own heart, but he still has some training that needs to happen. Well, beloved, some of you here today probably are in the midst of that education today. Some of you here today may be right in the middle of the school of struggle or that university of adversity. Some of you may be in the right in the middle of that, or some of you think that you have just graduated. Well, hold on, because it won't be long before you'll be re-enrolling. Amen? It happens. It happens to all of us. All of us all across this service, as well as the first service, every one of us have been in, are in, are going to go through, are going to go through the university of adversity. And sometimes as we go through this university of adversity, we sang a minute ago, it is well with my soul. But in the midst of that, sometimes it's not so well with our soul. Sometimes it's not fun. And it's hard to see rightly in the midst of that adversity. And I think we can learn something here from David in this chapter. I think we can learn something that he needed to learn and he was learning in the process that we need to constantly be reminded of and learn to. And here's the main thing, is that we need to learn to trust the Lord always. Y'all with me? 
We need to trust the Lord always. We need to learn to trust the Lord always. So let's look at this chapter and let's see how the Lord reminded David of things that he needed to know and things that he needed to remember in order for him to to continue to trust the Lord even in the midst of the university of adversity. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you'd please stand as I read 1 Samuel 21. It's only 15 verses or so. But let me read this, and I think it'll be a somewhat familiar passage to you, but if not, well, here we go. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and he said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. And I have directed you, and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David, and he said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. And then David answered the priest, he said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Verse 7, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And so the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, well, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there's no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And now David took those words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we need to be reminded often as we walk through the courses of life called within the university of adversity. Lord, that you would teach us some things today. Teach us not only some things, but Lord, teach us about you. And Father, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and lives, that as we face the adversities of life, that we'll know who it is that we need to turn to. I pray, Father, that you would guide and direct every heart, every mind, every thought, and I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, if there are those here that don't know you as Savior, that this would be the hour of salvation. Lord, if those of us who do know you, may it be a time of surrender. Lord, of yielding completely to you all that we face and are facing or, or will face. I pray that you be glorified. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, remember, and it's been a couple weeks since we looked at this, but remember, as we saw a couple weeks ago, is that David has found out that Saul for sure is out to get him. And he, he's not out just to lock him up. He's not out just to give him a hard time. But Saul is out to kill David. And you remember that where Jonathan revealed that to David uh, back a, a couple weeks ago. So David is on the run. He is running from Saul. He is fleeing for his very life. But what we see here in this passage of Scripture is that David is still learning in the midst of this adversity. I'd say he's facing some adversity, wouldn't you? He's in the midst of a struggle. He's, he is struggling for his very livelihood, his very life. This, the king is out to kill him. So all the land is out against him. He is in the midst of adversity. He is really facing a struggle. But he is still learning. Even though he's going to be a man after God's own heart, he is not there yet. And beloved, we need to understand that we're not there yet either. Amen? We're still in the process of learning. David reacted to Saul's threats like we probably would. David ran. And how often we want to just run from our problems. Man, if I could just get out of this. 
If I could just get away off to myself and just be away from all the struggle, we could just run. We'd do it. But the reality is that we can't. Some say he was wise. Now listen, some say that David was wise to run from Saul's schemes, while others say actually David probably lost sight of trusting the Lord, and he's not where he needs to be right now. And that's where I tend to fall into that camp, that David probably is not where he needs to be in his right walk right here, and that he is running from Saul in fear. But what we find here in the school of forward learning is that he is, first off, learning to live in his provision. And the person his is, is God. So he's learning to live in God's provision. He's learning to live in his provision. As we look at this story here, David is on the run. He has fled from Saul. Evidently, he has some men with him. And he comes now to the priest at Nob, a place called Nob. And, and David, obviously, and his men, they're hungry. They've been on the run. And uh, they come to the priest and they make up a story about uh, the king has ordered me on some business. And it's just sort of quiet, you know, sort of underhanded. As a, and it says, don't let anybody know anything about the business which I'm sending you. But in the process of that, as he's talking to the priest, he, rel- he relinquishes that he is hungry. He and his men are hungry. They, they've had nothing to eat. And so they're asking then for the priest to give them something to eat. Now, understand that in that culture, it was customary to stop just about anywhere and to ask for food. And it was also customary then to show hospitality to the person who was asking and to give them food. And the priest doesn't have anything here. Look at this now. They come to the place where the priest is, and the priest has nothing to give except holy bread. Evidently, the priest didn't see the weather forecast and saw that he needed to go out and buy milk and bread that day. He has nothing in the house. There's nothing in the tabernacle. There's nothing there except the holy bread. So let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Now therefore, David says, What have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. What, look, I'll take anything. We are hungry. Verse 4, the priest answered David and said, Look, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. He said, Look, there is only holy bread. There's this show bread. All the priests had to offer was this holy bread that was there in the tabernacle. Now, beloved, there's one thing that we need to always keep in mind and remember is that understand that God is always trying to teach us something. Do you believe that? God desires for you to know more about him than you want to know. But we need to know. And so there's no such thing as a coincidence. God's always searching, always working and working in our hearts and working in our lives and showing us things if we'll only open our eyes to it. And so I see here that there are no coincidences what David is seeing in here as he comes to this place. And there is no bread. There's the only thing there is this showbread. And so having, having said that, as the priest comes to David and says, look, I don't have anything here. All I have is the showbread. Well, the showbread itself should have been a reminder. The holy bread was bread that was on the table of the showbread there in the tabernacle. Let me tell you a little bit about that. This bread would have been baked fresh and then placed fresh on the table before the Lord on every Sabbath. But after seven days of being out, it was specifically only for the priest to eat. And so they would take it out and place it elsewhere in a basket or such before they would take and put fresh bread, fresh baked bread in this place on the table, on the table of the showbread in the tabernacle. I wish I had thought ahead of time and had somebody cook baked bread this morning and just set it in here so you could smell that. Can you know what I'm talking about? So this idea, and as he comes and he finds out that there's just this bread and that's all that he has... That should have been a reminder in David's heart as to what this means. Because this is all the priest had. And David, knowing about the tabernacle and knowing as a good Jew, knowing what the bread would represent, it would have been a reminder to him. And there's a couple things. One, the first thing is that it would have reminded David of, as he was to hear that all they had is the showbread, this holy bread, it would have been a, an instantaneous reminder of who God is and that God is the provider. Because the bread was a symbol of the provision of God. The bread there would have been uh, in 12 loaves, which stood for the 12 tribes of Israel. And the bread would have been a reminder to any Jewish, any Israelite who walked in, reminded them of the manna in the wilderness and how God provided for them in the wilderness. It would have been a reminder how God had provided for them. 
And so the Lord is teaching David something in the midst of his adversity. He's, he's hungry for some food, and he comes into where the priest is at the tabernacle, and all they have is the showbread. And so that bread would have been a reminder to David that my God is the God who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and who provides. God was trying to speak to David here, I believe, by letting him know that God himself is the provider. Beloved, as we go through the adversities of life sometimes, we need to often remember that God is our provider. Amen? He is our provider. Ahimelech allowed David and his men to have this bread as he inquired of the Lord, as we'll see here in a few minutes. But also it could be used in the case of emergency for someone in need as long as they met the conditions of ritual cleanliness. And of course, Jesus used this story in the Gospels to explain that the law is made for man's benefit and how doing what Ahimelech did here for David was right because loving your neighbor would be greater than the letter of the law. And so as David and his men are hungry, they would be reminded that the Lord is faithful to provide. Just as he had provided in the wilderness, he would provide for his people here as well. He is reminding David through the, the looking as he sees the showbread that God himself is faithful to provide. He has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful to provide all that they would need. And beloved, listen. We need to be reminded that God is faithful to provide all that we need as well. God is faithful to provide all that we need. But sometimes, listen, but sometimes the Lord lets us get hungry so that we we can trust him. We can learn to trust him and, and learn that we must trust him to provide. Now, you say, well, I don't know that I've been hungry recently. I mean, it's almost lunchtime now and, I, you know, Maybe my stomach's starting to growl a little bit, but beloved, here's the thing, and the reality is that we don't know what, what real hunger looks like today in America too often. Often, we don't really know what real hunger looks like. Now, I do believe that there are people right outside of the, the doors of our church within a mile or so of our building who do get hungry and know what hunger looks like. But for most of us in this country, we live in a state of constant prosperity, and rarely do we know hunger. As a matter of fact, we're constantly full, even fat. Did the preacher just call us fat? Well, yes, I I guess that's what I did, but I'm calling myself fat because we have so much. We are prosperous people, amen? Come on, somebody amen that, would you? We are prosperous people, but you know, I, I couldn't help as I was thinking about this this week, remembering the story of a lady at Midway who is now with the Lord. And she lived to be about 100 years old, and she, her name was Sister Doris. And Doris had this uncanny knack for just saying whatever she wanted to say. I'm sure you guys have no idea about people like that, but there are a few in churches sometimes, and it was Miss Doris and that one. And she would sit on the back row, and she was really kind of loud, and she would say things. And she, I don't know that she realized that everybody down in the front row could hear what she was saying, but she would just say things, you know, just whatever came to her mind. And one of the things that she loved to say to people and about people as they would come in. And she would say, you know, you are really gaining some weight. And she'd say to other people, you know, they're getting fat. But everybody knew that was just Miss Dars. That's just who she was. And so when I did her funeral, I asked her family permission to do this. And they said, please do that. And so what I did was, is when we came to the funeral and we began the service, I said, we're here today to remember Sister Doris, uh, who loved the Lord Jesus, who's with him today. But on her behalf today, I must tell you that you all look fat. Because <laughs> everybody knew that's who she was. But in reality, we all are fat, especially here in America, as it comes to the point of being a prosperous people. And because of our prosperity, sometimes we do not hunger for the Lord as we should. There are times when the Lord lets us get hungry for some things. It reminds me of the warning that the Lord gave the Israelites through Moses as they're about to go into the promised land. You remember this in Deuteronomy chapter 8? And starting in verse 6, 
the Lord through Moses said, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing, you watch this, into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, verse 17, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it should be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. And then it's not on the screen, but in, the, in just a few chapters over, in chapter 31, verse 20, we see that the Lord says this to the children of Israel as well. He says, When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. You see, God loves us, and he desires us to walk with him. But there are times in our lives because when the bills are all paid... When our health is real good, when we finally get that bonus, when our kids are finished with college, when the mortgage is paid off, that we get to the place where our health, everything is great, that we sometimes forget who God is. And so in the midst of our adversities, God will cause us to hunger, to hunger after him, to learn that he and he alone is our provider. That we have what we have, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Amen? So in the midst that sometimes we go through the adversities, the universe of adversity, to be reminded that without him, listen, without him, we can do nothing. Someone once said, it's one thing to believe that I'm without strength or wisdom. It's another to know it through actual experience. You see, our learning is not so much about learning things But it's about learning him when we go through the schools of struggle and the university of adversity. Our forward learning in the midst of our adversity, it teaches us that God is, has been, and will continue to be good to us. That he is faithful, that he is our provider, and that he is all that we need. As we think about the bread here, we know today that Jesus is the bread of life. Amen? He's provided everything that we need. All that we will ever need is found in Jesus. He's the one who truly satisfies us. He is our great and awesome provider. So we learn to live in His provision, but then secondly, we learn to lean on His presence. We learn to lean on his presence. So David is fleeing from Saul. We've established that. And as he is fleeing from Saul... There has to be a sense of loneliness that he's feeling. There has to be a sense of isolation that he senses. There has to be a sense of not knowing which way to turn or where to go as he is running from Saul for his life. And so yet, in the, even in this tabernacle, he's talking to the priest, when he sees the bread, not only should it remind him of the provision of God, but also we see that it should also remind him of something else. In verse 6 it says, The priest gave him holy bread. For there was no bread there but the showbread which has been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now, in some translations, in the ESV, I believe it says, it's the bread of the presence. It's called the bread of the presence. Because in Jewish tradition, when this bread was baked and put out on the, bread, on the ta- table for the showbread, the bread was baked in a U-shape where two ends of the bread would face each other in order to signify and symbolize that at the tabernacle is where God's presence met with his people. And so the bread then, not only would it be a reminder of God providing through bread and manna, but also it would be a reminder of God's willingness to fellowship and to commune with man. 
He was willing that man would enter into his presence and fellowship with him. And here's the thing. The invitation was always open as there was always fresh bread, never stale. The longer it would stay on the table would be seven days. But this is the lesson that we can learn in the university adversity as well, is that we are to lean on his presence because our God is always there. And he desires for us to walk with him as much as he desires for us to walk with him. He desires that we come to him and seek his counsel. He desires what is best and he knows what is best. He wants us to come to him and seek his wisdom and seek his counsel and seek his guidance. And look, not just on the big questions of life. Not just on who am I to marry or where am I supposed to live or what is my job to be. Yes, you're to seek his counsel, that. But listen, we're to seek God's counsel in every aspect of our lives. Every decision we run through the filter of what does God desire for me to do. Everything that we do. And having this bread of the presence, this should have reminded David of the presence of the Lord, who is not only faithful to provide, but also who is faithful to guide. And we must learn to lean on his presence, to say to the Lord, Lord, I come to you as my creator and my sustainer. Lord, I lean on you. I commune with you. I need your presence. I need you to guide me. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me guidance. Because, Lord, here's the truth of the thing. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. In this adversity, in this struggle in which I'm facing, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next. Lord, I don't know where this is going to lead today. I don't know what's next. I don't know what shoe is going to drop next. But this is what I do know, Lord, is that you are faithful. And that you know what I must do. And you know which way I'm supposed to go. And you know the answers. And I need you. And so I lean on you. And I lean on your presence. Now, would you say amen to that? Now, how would you know that? How would you know that God is faithful to give us guidance? How would you know that God is faithful to provide what we need? How would you know that God is faithful to to guide us and to, to lead us unless you have experienced it before? You see, it's one thing to know it in your head, but it's another thing to experience it and to know it in your heart. Amen? And the only place that we experience those things, beloved, oftentimes is in the university of adversity. And God desires for us to know Him, not just things about Him, but to know Him in the midst of this. David also should have been reminded that he could go to the Lord and ask questions, even through what Ahimelech has done. Now, as you look at this passage of Scripture in chapter 21, we find that there's a parenthetical statement, one verse in verse 7, that just is sort of out of place to us. But we see it, but then we find in other chapters, there's a reason why it's placed here. But uh, there's a couple reasons, actually. But let's look at that verse. Verse 7 says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. But well, what has Doeg got to do with anything here, right? What is he doing here? Well, what we find out in the next chapter is that old Doeg is an old tattletale. He goes back and he tells Saul what he has seen here in David as he is with Ahimelech. But there's something else that he says here that I find very interesting that Doeg says to Saul that we find in verses uh, uh, 9 and 10. Let's look here. It says, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. And he said to, said to Saul, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech the son of Ahidub. Verse 10. And he, this is Ahimelech, acquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Doeg saw something that's not recorded here in chapter 21, but if Doeg saw this from a distance, David saw it close up, and that is that Ahimelech inquired of the Lord before he gave David the bread. So him going to the Lord, asking, is this something that I should do for David, should have also reminded David that he can go to God to have guidance in everything that he's doing. So in the midst of his adversity, in the midst of his struggle of fleeing from Saul, I don't see David really going to God here, but in the midst of this, he can see that Ahimelech is, and that should remind him that he needs to also go to the Lord for guidance 
in the midst of this struggle. You see, in our adversities, friends, we're reminded that we need the Lord and His direction. We need the Lord to give us guidance. We need Him to direct us. Why? Because He's God and we're not. Amen? He knows what's best. We don't. We might think we know what's the best way to go, but in reality, we have no clue. We may have gone down this path before and God led us down this way and this is how it worked out, but you know what? God does things differently sometimes. And you look at the battles in the Old Testament, sometimes He tells them to do this and other times He tells them to do that. He tells them to advance this way, and other times He says, go around the wall seven times. You never know what the Lord says. So we always have to go to Him for guidance and direction because He knows what is best. Well, Pastor, I understand that I'm supposed to do that, but how do I do that? How am I supposed to get His direction? How am I supposed to hear His voice? Y'all want to know? Amen. Well, here's how you, get, here you know, how you get to know His voice, how you get to know what God wants for you. You have to spend time with Him. That's how we get to know the voice of God, is we spend time with Him. If we go through life, we come upon adversities, and we say, okay, God, this is me. You know what I'm dealing with here, and so I really need you to give me some guidance. You know, I don't have a lot of time for you, you know, during the rest of my life, but right now as I'm going through the struggle, will you just give me a sign or give me something? I'll tell you what, God, how about if I just do this? I'm going to pray, say, Lord, help me, and I'm going to open my Bible, and then I'm going to point my finger, and whatever it says, I'm going to let that be it, Okay. Beloved, listen, you can try that, but it will probably get you in a whole lot of trouble. Amen? I would not advise that. But what I would advise you to do is to do what God desires for you to do, and that is to build up your relationship with Him so that when you speak to Him, you know His voice. When you spend time with Him, you know what that sounds like and looks like. You do that as you pray and as you read His Word, as you come to church, you talk to people who are believers, and you hear what God is speaking and saying. Again, I don't believe there's such a thing as a coincidence, and you see the circumstances that are happening around you, and what is God trying to say? And as you build up that relationship with Him, and you love Him, and He loves you, you will figure that out. He'll never go against His Word. Amen? And we understand what He desires for us to do as we walk with Him. He is always present. Not only is he the bread of life, but he is also the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's the God with us. He's Emmanuel. He's the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved us and set us free. He's the one we can count on. He is our Redeemer, the one who loves us unconditionally. And he desires for us to lean on his presence to hear from him. We're to learn to lean in the midst of our adversities, in the midst of our struggles. We're to lean on his presence and live in his provision, but also, thirdly, learn to look to his protection. Learn to look to his protection. In verses 8 and 9 here, I find this interesting. David has no weapon, and so he feels a need to have one. And we come to verse 8, David said to Ahimelech, he said, Is there not here on hand a spear or sword? He's talking to the priest at the tabernacle, okay? Isn't there some kind of weapon here? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. Verse 9. And so the priest said, now get this, the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Well, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there's no other except that one here. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. Now, isn't that interesting? David comes into this tabernacle with Ahimelech the priest and he sees the bread which should remind him of God's provision and his presence and now he's looking for some kind of protection because he's running from Saul and so he says, look, I need some kind of weapon. What you got there? And the priest says, "Uh, I've got one, just one. It's the sword of Goliath. It just so happens that all Ahimelech has is that one sword, and it belongs to Goliath. Do you think that maybe the Lord was trying to remind David or something? I think so. I think as he hears that he has Goliath's sword, David has to remember how God has worked in his life in the past. David has to remember, as God would speak to him in this very moment, how he took care of David with Goliath. David, you want... You want a sword? Look, David, when you killed Goliath, all you had was a sling and a stone. Right? David has to remember this during this time. He has to remember. 
Because at that point, when he is facing Goliath, remember what David said. David said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you with a sword and a spear. No, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, for the battle is the Lord. So David needed to be reminded of something, that the battle is the Lord's, not his. And I believe the Lord was reminding David of that at that moment. The battle is mine, David. Remember what I did in the life of Goliath. Beloved, listen. I don't know what you're facing in your life and what battles you're dealing with. But the Lord would remind you that the battle is his. It never was yours. It's always his. It's a spiritual battle in which we face. Yes, there may be physical things that we have to deal with, but the battle is the Lord's. And we need to be reminded that this God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, is the same God who is today our God, the living God. Amen? He is the God who goes before you. He's the God who goes with you. He's the God who comes behind you. He is our protector. He is the one who has delivered you. And it's by his power. Watch. It's by his power and by his protection that victories are won. That's how we have the victory. The victory is not found in us. The victory is found in him. And we know that our victory has been settled once and for all at a place called Calvary and a tomb that is empty. Amen? He is our victor. Just as you find his provision for strength you can, and find his presence to guide, look to his protection to fight for you, to deliver you in the midst of your adversities as you lay your life before him and say, Lord, this is not me, this is all you. I yield this to you. For it's by his power and protection that victories are won for his glory. But you know what we like to do, and y'all know this is true, is that we often in our university of adversity, we think, oh, well, I know how this is going to turn out. So let me just go ahead and jump in and fix it. Let me go ahead and fix the problem. Let me go ahead and fix the situation. Let me go ahead and force things to happen. And sometimes, yes, of course, sometimes the Lord uses us, but we must do whatever he wants his way and his timing. We need to go to him to fix it. I was saying something to someone recently about how oftentimes we're in the midst of these struggles of life and maybe things that need to be addressed or things that need to be taken care of. And we are so quick, we're going to jump on it right now. And sometimes that, that there is some haste that needs to happen. But most of the time, if we would take our time and go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you intervene in this situation? we would be amazed and surprised at how wonderful God can make things happen. Why? Because he's still the living God. Amen? He still wants what's best. He still knows you. And he still loves you. But we tr need to trust him. So here's three real quick things. It's not on your form anywhere, but you can drop these down. In the university of adversity that we must never forget. We must never forget who our real enemy is. Whether you have a struggle with a coworker or a, a friend or a relative, you need to understand who, and never forget who our real enemy is. We've said this many times, we will continue to say it, that our enemy is not flesh and blood, it's principalities and powers. Ephesians 6, 11, 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against your neighbor. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. No, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against your children. No, that's not what it says either. No, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of what? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and the heavenly places. Our real enemy is the devil. Never forget who your real enemy is. Also, never forget who the real victor is. Romans 8, 37, we see who our real victor is. Yet in all these things, we are, we are more than conquerors. So I'm the real victor. Oh, no. No, you're not. Look at the next couple of words. 
Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Him who loved us, that's Jesus. We are more than conquerors, not because of anything that we do, but what He has already done. He is the victor. So in the midst of your struggles, as you come through them, come through the struggles and the adversities, remember that the victor is not you. The victor is God. It's for his glory. Amen? He's working in you and changing you and working in your life and molding you, but he's the victor. Our victory's been won. Never forget who our enemy is, who the victor is, and then, then finally this, we must never forget who we really are either. You know, sometimes we forget who we are. In the midst of our adversities, in the midst of our struggles, we forget who we are. David forgot who he was. I really think he did. When you come to cha- uh, this, the latter part of this chapter, verse 10, it tells you that David rose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath, Gath, Gath. That, that, that sounds kind of familiar. Oh, yes. That's Goliath's hometown. He goes to the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another and dance saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard, which was a big no-no in that day. Because the beard was a symbol of manhood and, of course, to disgrace yourself by letting the saliva fall was an awful thing to do in that culture. I wouldn't say it'd be a good thing to do now either, either. <laughs> but in that culture, it really was something. As we look at this, this does not look like David, a man after God's own heart. This does not look like a man who has confidence in front of Goliath. He forgot who he was. He needed to be reminded, and I think God gave him a reminder, as he hears the people saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands, because it was, he heard those words when he was coming back. From the victory over Goliath. That should have reminded him. Amen? Beloved, listen, we must never forget who we are. Well, who are we? Well, we're children of the Most High God. Amen? Our Savior lives. Death has already been defeated. We talked about that last week. Hell has already been overcome. We have nothing to fear. We walk in confidence and in courage because of Christ our King. Let's not forget who we are in the midst of our adversities, remembering that we are children of God and we're to live like that and love Him more and to trust Him in the midst of our adversities with confidence. David may have forgotten. Here's the thing. David may have forgotten who he was, but here's the thing about David I love is that David didn't stay that way. Is that he was willing to change. As God dealt with his heart, he then was... He changed and God molded him and shaped him. And he, he received that, unlike Saul who continued to get hardened. But David changed and he accepted it and he accepted this adversity and he learned from it. Well, how do you see that? Well, we see that he did learn that pretty quickly. And I think we see that in a place. In the very next chapter, chapter 22, it tells us here that David therefore departed from there as they let him go uh, from the King Achish. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So David went to a place of solitude. He went to a place of isolation. And I think it's in that cave that David contemplated all that the Lord had reminded him in the showbread and the bread of the presence and the Goliath's sword. Because it's not long after that, if you look in through the book of Psalms, and we know that David wrote a multitude of those Psalms, that if you look at Psalm 34... And if you look at Psalm 52 and you look at Psalm 56, you'll see at the heading above those that this was written here at this point, after this took place, during this time. So God has worked in his life. And so now David is contemplated who God is and who he is because of who, who God is. And he has now written these Psalms, Psalms like Psalm 34. Just a few verses, verses 4 through 9, he writes, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. He's speaking there about trusting the presence of God. The next section, 6 and 7, he's talking about trusting the protection of God. 
The poor man cried out. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. The protection of God. David is able to speak these words, write these words, and because he has experienced it in the university of adversity. Trusting the provision of God. Verses 8 and 9. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. God has provided all I need. Just a chapter before, chapter 21, he's running like a scared man. Telling tales about why he needs to get food and why he needs, and he's looking for weapons. But now we see a changed man, don't we? Verse, Psalm 52, verse 8 and 9. But I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. That cave did some wonders for old David, didn't it? As he pondered the goodness of God. In Psalm 56, 3 and 4, he says, Whenever I am afraid, this is the same guy who's running from Saul. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I have put his, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? David has learned not only some things about God, but he has learned more of God himself. Amen? And as we face the adversities and the struggles of life, we learn more about him. And then in chapter 23, it also tells us there that the Philistines were bullying another town. And now it tells us in that chapter that David now inquires of the Lord and saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? He has learned some hard lessons in his university of adversity and school of struggle. But as he walked through that, he came to know God more clearly. And he was able to use that and to pen these words in the Psalms so that now, centuries later, generations beyond him can look to these words and find great comfort in the midst of our adversities as well. And beloved, we go through the times of life and times of adversity and struggles and we say, I do not understand, God, what it is that you are doing in my life. And beloved, let me tell you something, there are times when that will just be the case. Sometimes we may see that what, while we're dealing with this and other times we may not know until we get to heaven and ask God himself. It may not be well with our soul, but in as we go through these difficulties and God continues to shape and mold and you learn more about him, he will use you to bring comfort to somebody else who's going through the same struggle. Amen? God can use you and work in you and work through you for his glory as you minister to others as well. Everything is always for his glory. Real quick, three things to do. I don't have a question for today. I actually have something to do today. So here it is. Three things, real quick, real simple. I say it's simple. Maybe it's a little tougher than that. But number one, trust him to provide. Trust him to provide. I don't know what you're hungry for today. I don't know what you're needing in your life, but you need God to provide for something for you. Trust him to provide. He is the provider. Now, that doesn't mean that we sit back and say, okay, God, pour it on. Here I am. It's like when you take a test, uh, you don't say, okay, I'm trusting God to provide all I need when I take this test, and so I'm going to sleep with the book under my pillow tonight. And then tomorrow when I take the test, I'm trusting that he's going to provide me with the answers. Well, you can try that, but again, you're going to find you're in trouble. There is a part that we need to be taking part of, but we're to trust him to be our provider. Amen? He truly is the bread of life who truly satisfies. It may be that he, if it's finances that you need, it may be that he provides you with strength to get a second job. If it's direction, you, he gives you guidance, he provides you with direction. Whatever it may be, know that he is the provider. Then secondly, trust him to provide, but also trust him to guide. Ask him to guide you in every aspect of your life. Every decision that needs to be made. Because here's the thing, he knows you and he knows what is best for you. 
He knows the route that needs to be taken to give you guidance. Pray in the morning, but don't let that be all that you pray. You're communing with him throughout the entirety of the day. When you see the sun rise, when you ask him about you know, a decision that needs to be made, whatever it may be, as you're communing with him throughout the day, all day, talking to him as you would your friend, for he is. Trust him to provide, trust him to guide, and then thirdly, trust him as the only one qualified. He's the only one who's qualified to win the victory. Go to him. He's the one who's defeated our enemy. He's our deliverer. He is our victor. He is the rescuer. We can trust him to protect us, to deliver us, to help us. Because here's the thing. If he loved you enough to go to the cross of Calvary for you, he loves you enough to walk with you today. Amen? So look at all of your circumstances. As you go through the adversities and the struggles, look at all of your circumstances through the backdrop of the cross, realizing that Jesus loves you. So no matter what you're facing, you can always see it in the backdrop of the cross. Amen? So if you don't know this Jesus, you can know him today as you turn from sin, turn to Jesus in humble repentance, believing with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose bodily from the grave. Trust in him by faith, knowing he's the Savior you can come to know him as Savior and Lord of your life. As we come to our invitation, we invite you, if you've never done that, Pastor Joe will be here, I'll be here, be glad to pray with you. Or maybe you're here today and you know Jesus as Savior, and there's something that you have held on to, and you need to finally surrender that to Christ. Yield it to him, as he has spoken to you in the midst of this university of adversity. As you have finished your course, you think, well, phew, man, that's done. Don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, there's another course that's down the road that may be a little bit tougher, actually. But God will remain faithful, and he will walk with you through every struggle and adversity. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd have your way in us and through us. Lord, to be the people of God you want us to be, we pray, Father, that those of us who are in this room today who don't know you as Savior, Lord Jesus, that this would be that time where they'd surrender to you and commit their all to you. For those of us who do know you as Savior and Lord, I pray, Father, that this would be that time. Lord, maybe we need to yield to you completely, to surrender to you completely something, some adversity. Maybe when going at it the wrong way, trying to fix it on our own strength and our own power, and we need to say, Lord, it's yours. Give me wisdom, give me guidance, provide what I need. Let me know of your sweet presence in the midst of this. But Lord, I yield it, I turn it over to you. I want to follow you. I'm your child. I'm your servant. So Lord, have it. And let me learn more of you in the process. So Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in all of our hearts today as we yield this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to our invitation, Pastor Joe's here. I'm here if you need to come pray with us or pray silently. Singing, come as you are. You come and yield it all to Jesus today.